0: Welcome back once again to At Home in Your Hymnal. This is KNNA LP 95.7. We originate in Lincoln, Nebraska through Good Shepherd Lutheran Church right here at 3825 Wildbriar Lane. Our program, At Home in Your Hymnal, is to do just that help you to be at home in your hymnal, whether you are in the divine service or at home in your hymnal in your home, in your family devotions, in your private time. We've been uh, the last several segments, we've been having the the joy and the pleasure of having a special guest, Pastor Brent Kuhlman from Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch. Pastor Kuhlman has been uh, sharing his wisdom and insight and theological knowledge with regard to worship in general and specifically worship as it is taught and delineated in the Lutheran confessions. Pastor Kuhlman, welcome back.
1: Thanks, Clint. Good to be with you.
0: Yes, you uh, you did the impossible last time when we were <laughs> together. Uh, I re- I remember years. Your... Smoke
1: cigars. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm like...
0: <laughs> no, we're we're gonna figure out a way to do that here. Uh, I don't know how. Uh, I don't know how, but we're, we'll 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 do that. Either that or we'll move the studio to my uh, garage. But uh, you did the impossible when I was young, and I would listen on the radio to sporting events mainly, football games, baseball games. And if you had a, a, uh, an expert announcer, it was more fun to listen to that sporting event on the radio than it was to watch it on TV because the broadcaster could paint those mental images on the radio so that you could literally see the picture as you were hearing the words to be able to to talk and to teach in those word pictures. It's a a biblical thing. Christ does it all the time. And uh, you did that in our last uh, program, in our last episode, episode four. And uh, this is the uh, beginning of episode five here. You painted a word picture, very, very helpful, beneficial word picture, with regard to liturgy. And it was a chart we see this chart up on the wall. We've got three specific categories, category on the left, category in the middle, category on the right, to help us with regard to understanding and to talk with one another with regard to worship. Pastor Kuhlman, would you do us the honor and paint that picture once again?
1: Well, I'll try. Uh, thank you, Clint. Um I, again I have defined the liturgy in a narrow sense Those of you who have been listening Apology 24 the content And I want to expand that And speak of the liturgy in a more broad sense And so the three columns Moving from left to right The left hand column speaks about the divinely mandated things Namely liturgy in the narrow sense The gifts that our Lord gives Word and sacrament The middle column It's a mixture A mixture between uh, things Namely the right and the setting Like the order of service uh, namely, the, the proper distinction of the law and the gospel, and the balance of that. Biblical canticles, biblical texts, a lectionary, a church year, and again, we're moving from left to right. Okay, then we go to the the right hand column, the human things that are decided to be done, like the ceremony or the manner that would be like posture, gestures, music, uh, vestments, etc. Okay, so as we talk about those three columns, let's let's make some d- uh, proper distinctions, if you will for lack of better terminology by doing this what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to express the same distinction that the augsburg confession makes in article seven that i quoted the last time we talked now i want to quote that part again and more okay so this is my point this is what i'm trying to do with that three column sheet if you will the church is the assembly of saints in which the gospel is taught purely and the sacraments are administered rightly and it is enough for the true unity of church to agree concerning the teaching of the gospel and the administration of the sacraments that's left hand column now the, Apollo, pardon me, the Augsburg confession is making this point because the Roman church was teaching that the gospel and the sacraments do not give you the true unity of the church there are other things that have to be added namely Human rights and human the, the ceremonies. things that
0: we see, touch, taste, feel—yes—are the things that bring about true unity, yes. as opposed to God's word and its truth and purity. That's right.
1: And so, the the last sentence of Article Seven says, "It is not necessary that human traditions." rites or ceremonies instituted by human beings be alike everywhere as paul says in ephesians 4 one faith one baptism one god and father of all so i'm with this three columns that i'm doing here moving from left to right the divinely mandated things those that can be a mixture and then the human decision in the right hand column i'm trying to make that distinction that the augsburg confession is making namely There are divinely given things. That's the essence of the liturgy. And then there are those rites and ceremonies that are instituted by men. Now, another point that I want to make here now, let's push this further. Okay. (laughs) That not all rites and ceremonies, of course, are man-made. Okay. When we use that terminology, rites and ceremonies, that doesn't mean, when you use that language, doesn't mean it's automatically man-made. Following that? I am. Okay. So, for example... (laughs) (laughs) we're going to have fun with this. The liturgical divine gifts themselves include certain ritual and ceremonial elements in their divine institution. So, for example, in the institution of the Lord's Supper, Jesus includes certain things be used. Bread, wine. You're supposed to recite his words. You actually do something with your mouth and your tongue you eat and you drink and it goes down your throat and in and in the upper room it's from a shared cup if you will remember that this cup is the new testament in my blood and prayer of thanksgiving as well okay which is going to include certain postures and gestures right
0: right these things these things are on on the left hand kingdom it's our, our left-hand kingdom, left-hand column that you've painted for us, or in the middle? Uh, let's be clear. What my we're my
1: point is is that not all rites and ceremonies that I, I spoke about in the right-hand column, not all of them are man-made. That is to say, the liturgical divine gifts, the content, they contain certain ritual and ceremony. What I'm saying is, is you've got to eat and drink, and you've got to use bread and wine. Makes sense.
0: It does, especially when we see some of the errors that have crept into the church. What happens in the church when the consecrated bread and wine in the Lord's <laughs> Supper, instead of being eaten and drunk, is paraded around in worship? Yeah, yeah right. You you come up with a, uh, a, a horrific that ceremony sin. has
1: not been given by the Lord. That right? ceremony it not it only has it not it, it only has
0: not been given, but it's an offense yes. against the very ceremonies that God has given.
1: Right. Good point. Let's use baptism for another example here when I say that not all rites and ceremonies are man-made. In other words, that the the liturgical divine gifts themselves include certain ritual and ceremonial elements in the divine institution. For example, in baptism, um, you have to speak Christ's words. You baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you've you've got to apply something with your hands. H2O. That's right, water. Those are ritual rites and actions, by the way, and they're essential to the mandate of giving the gift. In other words, when Jesus says in Matthew 28, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's certain things you got to use. Water. Can't use confetti. Can't use rose petals.
0: And and again, if we uh, deviate from what Christ has given in his mandated institution, if we deviate from the Word of God and we baptize instead of in the Father, name of the Father, yeah. Son, and Holy Spirit, if yeah. we na- uh, if we baptize in the name of mother uh, parent, child, yeah. and life force, yeah. uh, that's a nothing exactly.'re uh, we're, we're, uh, it's an offense against the Lord. or if we baptize with um, uh, cranapple juice. Rather than water, simply because we want to be clever and cute, we take everything that God has given us and we put it in question. That's right. We put it in doubt.
1: Thank you for saying that. So if in order to uh, discern which words and which actions, you go to whose words? Christ. That's what you were saying, right?
0: Absolutely. Okay. And we, And we submit ourselves to the Word of God— and we let, to uh, to quote you back to you, we let God's Word form us, shape us, literally have its way with us. Yeah.
1: So, see, this is the distinction that the Augsburg Confession is making in Article 7. Um, human traditions, human rights, and human c- ceremonies instituted by men that our Lord's Word doesn't speak to, That that does not give the essence of the Church. Whereas Rome said pilgrimages certain kinds of vessels and other things that's true unity of the church as well fasting that kind of thing and no it's not the lord never says those kinds of things so i hope that's helpful now let me let me push this even further we got time all right we'll we, get started here not everything contained in liturgical rites that'd be the middle part of my column not everything contained in liturgical rites is man-made That's why I said the middle column is like a mixed. On the left hand, you got divine, right hand, you got man, but in the middle, there's a mixture. So that's my point. Not everything in liturgical rites are necessarily man made. For example, lectionary. Now, you tell me, Clint, is the lectionary of human origin? Yeah, it is. It is. Okay. Yet, the scriptures, and the apostles learned this from the Lord Jesus Christ, they say, you'd better read the Scripture as I've commanded. Okay? Another example, church year. That, too, is man-made. The church year, the calendar, is man-made. And yet, remember the transfiguration words of the Father? Listen to him. Let's connect that with Matthew 28, 20, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. So the church year, even though it's not mandated, what is mandated is that we proclaim, that we teach, extol our lord's life that he gave him to death for us and for our salvation which would include his resurrection his ascension his giving us the holy spirit at pentecost the life of living in the spirit through word and sacrament that whole long pentecost season you know i'm three-year guy <laughs> you one your guys that would be sundays after the trinity right correct yeah yeah correct. yeah so I hope that's helpful to whet the appetite there.
0: Well, it is, and uh, you know, with regard to that, listen to him, and uh, the 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 fact that we are uh, free to have our readings in our church here, and yet something like a liturgical calendar and a lectionary, uh, we we give up some of our freedom to preserve us from standing on top of that soapbox that every pastor is tempted to to stand on and preach the same sermon over and over again. And so it kind of forces us to preach the whole counsel of God. Yeah. It forces us to preach everything that Christ has commanded us, even the things that maybe we're not fired up about preaching this way. And in this way, Christ, crucified and risen, for us and for the forgiveness of sins is extolled in a way that it wouldn't be if I was, if I was left only to my little hobby horse. And I think <laughs> th- that is a great, great gift for me and for every pastor everywhere. And I think a reason why every pastor should consider that kind of a uh, curbing of freedom. We need to take a short break. This is At Home in Your Hymnal. I'm here with Pastor Brent Kuhlman, Pastor Clint Poppy and we'll be back in just a moment. Thanks for sticking with us.
1: You are listening to K N N A L P 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska.
0: Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. This is episode five. Pastor Clint Poppy. Along with me is my special guest, Pastor Brent Kuhlman from Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch. Welcome back once again, Pastor Kuhlman.
1: Thanks, Clint. Great to be with you.
0: It is. Uh, it's an honor. You've uh, you've painted for us this picture, and I want to keep keep working this while we have this picture fresh in our mind. We have this chart. We have three columns. On the uh, left column, we have those things that are given by God, mandated institution, non-negotiables. These are the things that. Uh, god has given us for worship on the far right hand column are the things that are uh completely man-made and man-generated and in the middle we have this column that is a little bit of both Uh, god's word uh is never without that human element and the human element is not without god's word with regard to here pastor um pick us up where we left off with regard to this chart and what we need to be gleaning from this discussion.
1: Well, let's quickly review. I, I had said that not all rites and ceremonies are man-made, and I gave examples from the Lord's Supper and uh, baptism that Jesus says you need to do, there are certain things associated. You have to eat and drink with the Lord's Supper. You have to use bread and wine. Um, uh, baptism, you've got to use water, and there's gotta, it's got to be applied that kind of thing. You gotta, you gotta recite Christ's words in both of those things, okay? The other point I made, and I'll do this quickly, is not everything contained in liturgical rites is man made. And I use two two illustrations. Number one, the church year, and the other was the lectionary. So on the one hand, both of those things are not mandated by Scripture, a church year and a lectionary, but what is mandated? The word is to be read and it is to be preached, and we are to teach and preach and teach the
0: the, the entire council of God, everything that Christ has given us, Matthew right, twenty-eight. Right.
1: Now let's push this a little more, shall we? Sure. Okay. There are. Let's make some distinctions with regard to rights. I want to make some. R I T E S. Yeah, I'm not a social justice warrior here today. Okay. I might be that some other day, but not right now. <laughs> I could tell you stories about how, uh, for lack of better terminology, I went. I went uh, and did. Uh, what was Barack Obama before he was a senator? He was a what?
0: Uh, uh, community. Yeah, community
1: organizer. Yeah. I did some community organizing a couple years ago that would have made uh, left-wing progressives just uh, go crazy because I took their game and put it to work for uh, the word of God and God's will regarding <laughs> certain topics in our community. But yeah, right. R-I-T-E here. So there. Are, let me make some distinctions with, with regard to rights. For example, the creed. Okay, are we to confess our faith? Yep, Absolutely. we certainly are. But when do we say it? This is my point. When I make when I'm talking about distinctions uh, in rites, do we say the creed after or before the sermon? Well, that's a human decision. It really is. I don't get, you know, you there may be some pastors out there that might disagree with me, but you know, if you think that this is not a human decision, you need to wake up, folks. Whether we confess the creed before the sermon or after the sermon, we're free. Now, there may be a good theological reason, and I'm sure a lot of guys can give me some really good theological reasons, and I could too, by the way, right, right now, for doing it a certain way, either before or after the sermon. But we are commanded to do something, and I, I hinted at this. We are commanded to confess the one true God in three persons which is hooked with the first commandment. You shall have no other gods. Well, which one are we to believe in? Well, the creed tells us, which is the faithful summary of the scriptures on who God is and what he's done for us. And this goes back to Matthew twenty-eight twenty. You got to better make sure that you teach everything that Jesus has commanded. And that would be included when we confess the creed. Make sense?
0: It does. Uh, I want I want to stretch you on the creedal part of things here just a moment. Um, in Catechism class, we are uh, taught that there are three ecumenical creeds and generally in the worship service with regard to uh, how we confess our faith, non-communion services, generally the Apostles Creed, right services where the Lord's Supper is the Nicene Creed a few times a year, especially on Trinity Sunday, the long Athanasian Creed. These are the three generally accepted creeds. And I'm not talking about, you know, uh, having the Apostles' Creed on a Communion Sunday or the Nicene Creed on a non-Communion Sunday or the uh, Athanasian Creed on a non-Trinity Sunday. I'm not talking about that. talking about making a creedal statement that I create, that I was moved or motivated. And so I take this creed that I have written and I put it before the people and expect everyone, as a part of the corporate worship service, to make that confession, which um, is really pretty special and pretty important to me. What's the, what's the danger with doing that kind of a thing?
1: Well, you might, the pastor might get it wrong. If, 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 if his starting point is his heart and feelings, watch out. He'd better stick with the objective word of God and what the word teaches and what the creeds faithfully confess. I mean, who are you? By the way, you know, the scriptures do teach that when, when new things are brought, watch out.
0: <laughs> well, avoid innovation yes. ha- is generally a good warning uh with regard to maybe your marriage and with your worship but um there there tends to be a a kind of a sentimental yeah, emotional subjective. Uh, very subjective, touchy-feely kind of a thing. And uh, look at this new paraphrase for the words of institution that I've written. Look at this new paraphrase for the Apostles' Creed. Let me, Let
1: me. can I interrupt you on that? Uh, please. I'll never forget. I'm a, this is by way of anecdotal story. I'm going to push what you're trying to say, I think. Okay. If not, correct me and we'll move on and get it right. But I'll never forget, <clears throat> I was attending Concordia University as a student and my good friend James Deloach and I, we went home on break during Thanksgiving, went to Glen Rock, Wyoming, and uh, we went to the Thanksgiving service at my home congregation in Glen Rock, Wyoming. And uh, the pastor for that service, he did not speak the words of institution for the Lord's Supper. Instead, he replaced them with the poem that he had written. Now, on the way home, my father, he asked James Deloach and I, he said, did we have the Lord's Supper tonight? And we looked at each other and we said, I don't know. And at that time in our life, we really didn't know. But we could sniff something out. We sniffed out that something was very wrong with what had gone on. Namely, the Lord's words had been replaced with the pastor's words. And what that did, best construction, is it brought doubt Did we have the Lord's Supper? And our answer was, I don't know. Similarly with a subjectively created creed, did we confess God rightly? Well, I don't know. Who knows? Well, to test that, you have to go to the Word of God, of course. And, you know, now as I look back at this story, we did not have the Lord's Supper that night. (laughs) Because he didn't use the Lord's words. And similarly, with the example I gave with baptism from the large catechism, to be baptized in God's name is to be baptized by God himself. Similarly, when the Lord sends his apostles to preach, teach and administer the sacraments, you remember that in the Bible he always says this, you are to do it in my name which means they've been given the authority to say it and do it. And as they do it, as he's mandated and instituted, speaking Christ's words, Christ is the one doing, speaking, and giving. That's the ambassadors for Christ, the Second Corinthians 5. The Greek there is hyper Christu, on behalf of Christ. Or the other part of that passage is uh, God making his appeal through us. Now, is that helpful?
0: Absolutely. That's exactly where I was going. And, you know, uh, our God is not a God of doubt. Uh, The German word, gewiss, God wants us to be certain. Yeah. He wants us to be certain of the forgiveness of sins. That's
1: precisely why the small catechism's last sentence on the explanation of each article in the creed is, this is most certainly true. So when it explains the words of the creed, it's saying this is the certain biblical teaching of who God is and what he's done
0: for you. To be sure and certain, again, this is a gift of God, the gift of faith, to be able to cling to the words of God. But our God does not want us to be in doubt with regard to who he is or what he does or our eternal salvation. There are, there are some theologies that are uh, seemingly built on a system of doubt keeps you putting money in the collection plate yeah. keeps you showing up right. to the door once again but true christianity i.e. true lutheranism is not like that at all
1: let's let's think about this once again in the way the augsburg confession did it in article 7 and and i was trying to make the same distinctions mm-hmm. with my chart is that let's let's run for ex- let's run for just a moment let's say that we are roman catholic and we actually do believe that not just word and sacrament reconcile us to god but certain rites and ceremonies reconcile us to god well okay so let's genuflection for example well how how making the sign of the cross how do you know if you did it right seriously I mean, you've got the Eastern Orthodox way that's the full body sign of the cross, right? And then you've got the Western way of doing it, which is you can do it on your forehead with a thumbnail, or you can just, you know, go from forehead to the middle of your chest and shoulders. So how do you know if you did it right? And this is the Lutheran distinction, and I'm trying to make this, is when it comes to liturgy in the broad sense, let's make the proper distinctions between the left-hand column, the divinely mandated things, from the man-made things, right-hand column, okay makes sense mm-hmm. so that's what i was trying to do we want it we want to not have doubt we want people to be certain and sure that when it comes to worship worship is about god jesus being among us as one who serves his gifts of salvation in word and sacrament and it's pure gift and then in response come the sacrificial things prayer praise and thanksgiving
0: You've painted for us beautifully this, uh, this chart with the three parts, the three uh, categories, and I think uh, maybe it's the old Adam or the enthusiastic old Adam that wants to spend all of its time in the far right column about, uh, you know, what, what I like, what makes me feel good, my, my particular tastes and things like that. When we come back from our break, I want to I ask you, Pastor, why is it important that the things both in the center column and the things that are seemingly indifferent on the right column, why is it important that these things serve what our Lord has mandated and instituted, those non-negotiables, those things that are in the left-hand column? Chew on that for a little while, our hearers and Pastor Kuhlman. And when we come back from our break, we want to go there. This is... At home in your hymnal, we're going to take a short break. Don't change that dial.
1: Sundays at noon on KNNA.
0: Welcome back once again to Proclaiming—or no, not Proclaiming—the One. I'm getting my programs mixed up here. At home in your hymnal, uh, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Brent Kuhlman. Pastor Coolman has uh, painted for us in a in a masterful way a three-part chart with regard to helping us. To make proper biblical confessional distinctions with regard to worship, and uh, we we were talking about how the things in the right hand column of the chart, those things that are mostly or exclusively of human origin, it's still not a free for all, and these things still must be a blessing and a benefit. To what our Lord has mandated and given, uh, Pastor Coolman, uh, would would you like to expand on that for us?
1: Yeah, I'd be delighted. I, I'm glad you set it up that way because that that really says it well. So let me use an illustration to make uh, to talk about, if you will, the the relationship between liturgy, the content, the right that's the middle column, and the ceremony. Did I say lit- left hand column liturgy? and uh, the right, the middle column, and the ceremony, the right-hand column. Here's an illustration. Um, let's compare the liturgy to a gift. The right could be compared to the box, and the ceremony could be compared to the wrapping paper and the bow. All right? So the box carries, protects, and delivers the gift. The wrapping and the bow, they are chosen to fit the certain occasion Christmas a birthday anniversary whatever okay so that the gift then is received in the proper spirit of celebration and joy because that's why you give gifts right okay now having said that in analogies always break down but having said that the gifts could certainly be given without the wrappings okay it could be again my illustration has its limits but the point I think is well taken right Yes. All right. So I could give you some other analogies, you know, like a ring and the diamond, uh, et cetera. But let's just do one with that first analogy. So when we talk about ceremonies, here's an argument that you hear all the time that it's for good order. Yes. And no ceremonies are not just about good order. They are, but not just only. Okay. They are done. And here's where I really want to emphasize besides just good order. Ceremonies are done in the service of God's word. And um, as the decisive word of Scripture is to instill Christ, that's what Scripture's for, is to instill Christ. So then, the chief purpose of ceremonies is to teach the people what they need to know about Jesus Christ. And I, that's, I'm just piggybacking on what the Augsburg Confession says in Article 24. I'm going to repeat that. Ceremonies should be done in service of God's Word. And so just as uh, the decisive work of Scripture is to instill Christ, another way of saying that is F-A-I-T-H. So the chief purpose of all ceremonies is to teach people what they need to know about Christ. Okay? So more than just pedagogical, (laughs) the ceremonies of the liturgy are put in service of its... Content so that the worshipper is drawn to what? Or drawn into what? God's word. Or how, would, how else could we say this? Faith in Jesus Christ as Savior of sinners. Let me quote apology the apology one more time, Clint, can I? Please. <laughs> this is again the apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article twenty four, and it's paragraph three. It says ceremonies ought to be observed how about that ought to be observed both so that men may learn scripture and so that admonished by the word they might experience f-a-i-t-h f-e-a-r and finally even p-r-a-y for these are the purposes of ceremonies And I'll remind you of another quote from the Confessions of the Church, the Lutheran Church. This is from the uh, introduction to the second half of the Augsburg Confession, and it's paragraph six, and this is delicious. And see, I'm doing this to help our church. I don't want to fight. I don't. I want to help. And here's the quote, that these ceremonies are to nourish reverence and pious devotion among the people. So again, when I talked about What is this relationship between liturgy, rite, and ceremony? I'm contending, and I think you would agree, Clint, that there is a demeanor, there is a conduct that is consistent with God's holy presence and his holy gifts. And so, you know, while we were preparing to record this episode, you, you gave the absurd illustration of, well, that's why I wouldn't go up, f- up front on Sunday morning wearing my Speedo only. I mean, no, duh, that's a no-brainer. Of course the pastor wouldn't go up front dressed in a, 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 a Speedo swimming suit because that's a demeanor and it's a conduct that is totally contrary to the one who is among us to serve us with his holy and precious gifts of salvation in word and sacrament. I hope that's helpful.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it's very helpful when uh, when we're in that area, that category, the, the right-hand column that you have uh, identified as the ceremonies. I think many times people think that these things are uh, completely up for grabs. It is a compre- complete complete free-for-all, if nothing else, and the bottom line is what makes me feel good, what I like, what makes me feel good. Now, when you're talking about how the apology says that the purpose of ceremonies is for reverence, pious devotion, faith, resulting in prayer, these things are not all about me. That's right. So I have to think, outside of myself. I have to think in a corporate nature. And I think this is what has caused worship to be an area of worship wars, not only in the Lutheran church, but in all denominations, because it's about me and what I want and what I feel and what I like. And the old Adam does not want to die, not with regard to worship, not with regard to anything in this particular area uh, small catechism baptism part four where we are talking about a rhythm in the Christian life of dying to rise how does that rhythm in the individual Christian's life tie in with the rhythm that God teaches in corporate worship is that a fair question?
1: Well I think so it's it's simply saying that I'm not going to live for myself, and that includes the church, the congregation, as well as the entire church body. We're going to live for the sake of others and for one another. And so with regard to how we conduct the service, what we use for rites, etc., they had better serve that left-hand column, liturgy in the narrow sense. They'd better clearly confess that God is among us as one who serves us and that we are to live by faith alone in Jesus Christ, and so the service is going to go after our old Adam and kill it. And at the same time, through the preaching of the gospel and the giving of the gospel in the sacraments, the new man, F-A-I-T-H, will arise to live before God in righteousness and purity, namely the righteousness and purity of Christ himself, not mine. <laughs> and therefore, there's a, certain, there's a certain way that things are done. They just fit naturally. So again, I want to emphasize that good ceremony. You know, ceremony in of itself isn't necessarily neutral. <laughs> Good ceremony is going to promote what our confessions talk about, namely reverence and pious devotion. You know, I'll never forget John Kleinig told me one time when he was sitting in my uh, kitchen in Murdoch. He said, Brent, he said, you clergyman, and he looked right at me and he says, you act as if nothing is holy anymore. You guys conduct the service as if you're not in the presence of the holy God. You, you conduct the service as if these are not holy things that you are given to handle. And so you've taught the people to be irreverent and as if God is not there, as if he's somewhere else, not even there at all. And his point was well taken. You want to talk about killing the old Adam and me that day. And it was life-changing, those words, when Dr. Kleining said, Brent, you guys act like nothing's holy anymore. That's a crisis in the ministry, and it is. It is. And this gets reflected.
0: And and it's reflected not only in how we conduct the liturgy, how we lead worship, but how we do announcements before and after the service, uh, the the way and our demeanor and uh, maybe stories that we tell yeah, in yeah. the sermon yeah. in and of itself. Uh that, that's convicting to me as well and with that's regard why, to that that holiness, that sacred space of worship.
1: That's why in the small catechism, you have rubrics. When you gather for prayer, you fold your hands and you, you gather reverently. That's what the small catechism is. And similarly at church, you see. And that's why in, at home in, the, in our hymnal is our, is our program. So at home in our hymnal, that's why you have rubrics in the hymnal that guide our actions and the rubrics guide our actions then with, with a beauty that then moves the heart. Instead of being entertained, <laughs> the, old, the old Adam being fed so that it never dies, the rubrics are there for a certain reason, so that your old Adam is put to death and the, so that the new man will trust in Jesus for salvation. So, bottom line here, what goes on in the divine service Well, no, let's let's talk about it this way and, and maybe push it. How much time do we
0: have? About a minute and a
1: half. Well, let's just clinch this. Okay. Let's not forget, folks. I can't get into all of it. Let's not forget that what goes on in the divine service is not of this world. Remember, it's divine service. We're in the presence of the Lord. And in fact, we're in the presence of heaven with the angels, the archangels, and all the company of heaven. And so ceremonial that is secular, ceremonial that is irreverent, it contradicts something. It contradicts the content and it distracts from it. So one final point, may I? Yeah, please. All right, so our Lord's body and blood that he gives us in the Lord's Supper, they are not earthly food or earthly things, but they're heavenly. His gifts, his giving, then call for a pattern of behavior and a reverence that confess who is present and what is given to you. And so the Augsburg Confession, uh, in its conclusion... Paragraph five says that in doctrine and ceremonies, nothing has been received on our part against scripture or the church Catholic. That's what I'm arguing for, and I think we should, we should, that should be a goal for all of us in the Missouri Synod.
0: I, I think that is great, and that uh, brings this, this part of Episode 5 to a close. When we come back and re- wrap up this particular episode, Pastor, we've been talking about the importance as taught us in God's Word and Lutheran confessions with regard to this reverence, pious devotion, faith, prayer that exudes in, through, and from worship. I want to take our last segment then and talk about how that is contrary to a phrase that you use quite often in your teaching, and it's, in, it's with regard to the old Adam or the old Eve, and that phrase is enthusiasm, sometimes uh, brought out with regard to worship with the term revival or revivalistic Type worship. So that's why I want to bring this uh, this episode to a close. We're going to take a short break. This is At Home in Your Hymnal. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Kuhlman, we'll be right back.
2: You are listening to KNNALP
0: 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. We had to take a, a little bit of a change in our uh, first three segments of this episode. We had Pastor Brent Kuhlman with us, and Pastor Kuhlman got called away, so we weren't able to conclude this segment. He promises that he will be back, and uh, we're going to unpack things a little bit more. But I am uh, very, very thankful for Pastor Murundi to uh, sit in and help us conclude this talk about Adiaphora, In worship, now, Pastor, you've you've got nearly a decade of uh, experience under your belt, and I know you probably have lots of stories and Mm -hmm. lots of situations, good, bad, and ugly, to be able to share Um, when somebody talks to you about adiaphora, Mm -hmm. especially with regard to worship. What comes to your mind and maybe what are some thoughts that you can give us to uh, to help channel this kind of a discussion?
2: Yeah, well, it, it's typically audiophra is a code word in our circles for things that we want to try and get away with not doing. <laughs> or things that we want to change or things that, that we that we think don't matter. So we shove something in an audiophra so that we can get rid of it. That, that's typically... Uh, that's typically what I what I come up with, what I hear. Uh, but when you read the confessions, you find that uh, adiaphora is actually uh, those things that are neither commanded nor forbidden and that we can, without sin, omit. But if we are forced, it, then they are things that we hold to pretenaciously.
0: In uh, the scriptures, we are told that it is for cre- freedom Christ has set us free. Yep. Now, there are some pastors that uh, will take those words as basically a license for anything goes. Yep. We we are set free in Christ, so I can do and say and pray and worship any way that I want to, uh, how is that a misreading of that particular yeah. text? Yeah. And also, how is that a very,
2: very dangerous place to start yes. a discussion <laughs> of worship? Yeah, that, that's a terribly uh, dangerous place to start a discussion of worship, because if you just start with, hey, I'm free to do whatever I want to, um, you have kind of unmoored yourself both from the scriptures and from how the church has worshiped for all of its history based on the scriptures. And uh, you start getting into some pretty wacky things very, very quickly. And so for freedom, Christ, he's, he set us free from the bondage of the law. He set us free from, uh, from the law's condemnations, from uh, the legalisms that, uh, that would hold us captive. He has set us free from all of those things. Uh, he has not set us free from uh, uh, how we are to receive God's gifts. He has not set us free from the Scriptures. He has not set us free, real even from uh, things like the Ten Commandments or or other uh, or how a Christian should live. I mean that that verse can get abused in a, a dozen different ways, hundreds of different ways. And it is a terrible place to start a discussion of how we should worship. So uh, one of the things that Pastor Kuhlman brought out earlier in this program is
0: that where you start Mm -hmm. matters. Yes, it does. And so if we start with the Bible passages that talk about freedom, we, we, we are doing ourselves and our people a great injustice. We're missing the fact that all theology, by very definition of the name theology, a word from God, All theology begins with God. So we have a God who is holy, mighty, majestic, and all-powerful. He is also a loving and gracious God because he creates us and he creates all the world. We fall into sin, and our loving, gracious, gift-giving God gives us a Savior in the person and work of Jesus Christ. In order for us to be connected to that Savior, he gives us the very means by the power of the Holy Spirit that God connects us. He comes to us. He connects us and gives us the gift of faith. Mm -hmm. He gives us the word and the sacraments. So if we start with God and God's love and God's service to us, Mm And the fact that we are receivers, primarily receivers, if we begin there, how does that change the whole focus <laughs> yeah. of a talk about things that are neither commanded nor forbidden in different things mm-hmm. or adiaphora?
2: Well, that then you have a basis to evaluate adiaphora, right? I mean, you're not just evaluating on, hey, we can do whatever the heck we want to. You you have a a basis, a foundation, a, oh, a litmus te- test would we say, a ruler to evaluate different audio offerings and say, okay, is this helpful? Is this serving the gospel? Is it serving these principles that that we primarily receive and that God gives, that rhythm of worship? Um are these things helpful? And uh you would then also make that historical investigation and say, okay, why has the church passed this down to us? And uh, for what reasons? And certainly there have been times, um, I, I don't know who it was, if it was a modern Lutheran or it was a church father, but the, the liturgy is kind of like a bush and it just kind of gets bigger. And as the centuries go on, it kind of gets kind of wild and wooly and what luther did is he he kind of trimmed some of it back and some of these things that were uh but he didn't cut down the bush and plant something new uh he he trimmed it up he trimmed it up made it tried to get back to what was not going to not going to harm the proclamation of the gospel it, the best way to understand audio is to look at what luther did when he reformed uh the mass when he reformed the divine service, uh, he did not get rid of everything. He certainly could have. Other reformers did. The, the radical reformers yeah, did. Yeah, certainly. Many people said, well, let's just get rid of everything and start over. Well, Luther didn't do that. He said, okay, what is helpful, what is contrary to the gospel, it's cut it off. Trim it off, just like that Bush analogy that I've given you. Uh, trim that off. Um, but those things that are helpful, that are in accord with the gospel, that have been passed down to us but from the church because they're helpful in proclaiming the gospel, we're going to keep those. And uh, that, in my mind, is the best way to understand offer when it comes to worship and the divine service is if if it's an accretion that has come up that, that hinders the cause of the gospel, even if that branch is maybe a bit deep because it's been around for a long time, Luther said, this is against the gospel. It's contrary to the gospel. We got to cut it out for the health of the entire the entire bush.
0: You've given us a good uh, measuring line or marking stick to evaluate things, and that's one of the things Pastor Coolman did with his uh, three part triptych ag- analysis mm-hmm. that we're going to be exploring more in uh, future programs as well. Pastor, the scriptures teach us in one Corinthians fourteen forty, everything should be done decently and in order, yep. and that is not some generic thing that is specifically talking in a worship context yep. in First Corinthians 14. Also, the Lutheran Confessions, which all Lutherans subscribe to, says we do not abolish the Mass. Nope. In fact, we celebrate it more vigorously than our <laughs> yes. opponents. Yes, yep. So why would Lutheran Christians voluntarily in the freedom that we have in the gospel, why would we voluntarily restrict ourselves mm-hmm. to a liturgical form of worship, not abolishing the Mass, and mm-hmm. in keeping with 1 Corinthians 14.40?
2: In in order to serve the proclamation of the gospel and good order in the church. And so it, to that phrase, the, our God is a God of order, uh, the Reformers took that to mean that... Exactly what I said before about Luther, if it isn't broke, if it's not harming the gospel and it's been passed down to us by the church, he was Luther and the Lutherans were not afraid to to get rid of something that had long pedigree if it was wrong. But if something had been passed down from the church, from the church uh, universal over the centuries and was passed down because it was helpful, because it was good, because it supported the proclamation of the gospel, you keep it. You keep it for good order, for the good of the people of Christ. And, you know, these uh, kind of freedom, uh, these kind of wild freedom liturgies that run around, um, they are not uh, universal or ecumenical in any sense of the word. They're very, very parochial. They're very specific to that congregation. The Lutherans are very concerned in good order for the sake of the entire body of Christ of all times and all places.
0: It's hard to use the word conservative nowadays without having a a political uh, connection. But Luther's Reformation was a conservative reformation. And I think I think that word sums up what you've been uh, Mm -hmm. what you've been articulating here. The uh, the great, great book by Charles Porterfield Krauth, Mm -hmm. The Conservative Reformation and Its Theology would be a great place to start for folks that would like to unpack more and more with regard to what a conservative reformation, i.e. Luther, and what a radical uh, reformation is throwing the baby out with the bathwater, quite literally. Mm -hmm. When you were talking about cutting away things that are Uh, extraneous or even contrary to the gospel. I could not help but think about some of the ancient medieval borderline pagan rites that had crept into the baptismal ceremony Mm -hmm. over the year. I'm going to ask you right here now on this uh, program, on this little episode where you're subbing, Mm -hmm. would you be willing to come and to talk with regard to the baptismal ceremony that we have in Lutheran Service Book and to talk about what was kept from the old, what was added, what was uh, 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 removed, Mm -hmm. all these kind of things. And to help us see by example mm-hmm. the very thing we're talking about, where adiaphora can be harmful yeah. if it is used in a contrary to the gospel way. What do you think I, about that? I,
2: I think that'd be a, I think that'd be a great program. I need to do a little research on the on what was what the medieval accretions were. I know some of them, but uh, uh, blowing other, on the water, yep, yep, sprinkling all of weird, the salt, the, and, yeah, all, salt, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah,
0: yep. yep. Um, uh, when when people hear the word liturgy today, Mm -hmm. most of the time they think of, okay, what order of service are we going to use? One of the things that Pastor Kuhlman brought out is that this is not the way the word liturgy Mm -hmm. is used in the Lutheran confessions, not for a specific order of service, but for the way that God deals with his people. Pastor, your thoughts or comments? Yeah,
2: the the best way to illustrate this is, and I got this from uh, Pastor Will Whedon uh, on Issues, etc. Worship for a Lutheran is a W, not an M. And how do you draw a W? Well, you start at the top and you go down, then you go up, then you go down, then you go up. Well, uh, God gives to us first. He comes down to us. Our God is the God who comes then out of great thanksgiving and praise. We respond back to him. And then he gives more to us. We respond back to him. The M, that's paganism. We give to God so that he'll give something to us. We give to God so that he'll respond, that sort of thing. So it's uh, it's a completely different way of understanding worship. And unfortunately today, uh, many Christians worship like pagans. It is uh, very, very sad that
0: W&M is a beautiful and a simple illustration that we can understand. Where we start matters. We begin with God, not with my sinful heart. Uh, we have so much more to talk about on this topic of worship, what worship is, why worship is. That's one of the reasons why we have this program at home in your hymnal. We look forward to unpacking more and more of these things, and we, un- we look forward to having Pastor Murundi as a guest as many times as possible before he uh, hits the road and goes to Fort Wayne. Thank you for tuning in to at home in your hymnal. Thank you, Pastor Murundi, yeah, for pinch welcome. hitting, for Pastor Kuhlman. We'll be back again soon soon. God bless in Christ Jesus.